We are finishing a six-week sermon series this morning, so you are here for the finale of this 150 series. We started six weeks ago looking at the Psalms of creation, and we looked at the majestic, grandiose nature of the universe and God's beauty within it all, and then we looked at the concept of lament. Lament is these Psalms of God, where are you? God, you're not living up to your side of the bargain. God, you're piercing me with your arrows. Where are you? Uh, And then we looked at hallelujah, what hallelujah means, and praise the Lord, and all the good things that he has done. Then we looked at Psalm 51, David's confession after he fails big time. And then last Sunday, if you weren't here, we looked at the cursing Psalms of the Bible. These disturbing passages of God kill my enemies and kill their children as well. And what do we do with that? And we looked at how we can bring even the darkest parts of who we are before God, and he's not scared of it so that it may be relinquished in his presence. And so this morning, we finish our 150 series with perhaps the most famous chapter, not only of the Psalms, but perhaps of the entire Bible. Charles Spurgeon said that Psalm 23 is the pearl of the Psalms. J.J. Stewart, there is no psalm in which the absence of all doubt, misgiving, fear, and anxiety is so remarkable. McLaren says, the world could spare many a large book better than this sunny little psalm. It has dried many tears and supplied the mound into which many hearts have poured their peaceful faith. And Walter Brueggemann, a renowned Old Testament scholar, says, it is a psalm of trust that voices full confidence in the steadfast presence of God as the defining reality of life. And so to wrap up, our time of studying the Psalms together, I would love for us to read this beautiful chapter together. And so let's read this together on the screens. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Just that first line, the Lord is my shepherd. David, who wrote this psalm, used to be a shepherd. Now he's a sheep. And in this declaration to the Lord, David is no longer the shepherd. He's the sheep, and so are we. Look at your neighbor and just pretend that they're a sheep, okay? Sheep are simple and helpless, okay? Now, when I count to three, I want you to tell your neighbor that they are simple and helpless. Don't, don't do it yet, okay? Some of you have been waiting for this moment for a long time, okay? So you want to savor it. You will never have this opportunity again, okay? One, two, three. You are helpless and simple. (laughs) Some of you enjoyed that way too much. Now, I'll be talking about sheep a lot this morning, and so I'm not going to get sheepish about this, okay? That would be bad. Um, Now, if if you're thinking, man, I hope he's not going to be making any more sheep jokes. Don't worry, I will, okay? I will be making some sheep jokes this morning. Now, they're helpless. 
sheep. They don't have fangs. They can't bite you. Uh, they don't have claws. They can't scratch you. They can't sting. They don't run fast. They can't climb a tree. They don't blend into their surroundings. Sheep are without camouflage, right? Unless there's like some marshmallow field of some kind. They're not ferocious animals. They don't hunt for their food. You never hear survival stories of a group of campers being hunted by a pack of wild sheep, right? Sheep need a shepherd. And David here declares, the Lord is my shepherd. Everyone has a shepherd. You might be your own shepherd. Money might be your shepherd because you trust in wealth. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. And you might not come to that conclusion yourself. You might go, you know what? I, I, I like the way my life is going. I, I'm good leading my own life. Thank you very much. But we all have a shepherd. Who's your shepherd? Who's your shepherd? The rest of the psalm explains the benefits and the beauty of having the Lord as our shepherd. He says, I shall not want, or I lack nothing. In Hebrew, there's, it's literally four words. Yahweh, shepherd, no lack. I lack nothing. Some of you guys grew up hearing, uh, I shall not be in want. Uh, Yahweh, shepherd, no lack. Verse two, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. And this week, I read a ton about sheep and shepherding. At times, I question, am I writing a sermon or am I looking at a career change? Am I going to start tending sheep? But I learned a ton. And one of the things I learned was that sheep don't lie down easily. It's impossible for them to lie down unless four requirements are met. One, they've got to be free from fear. Two, they've got to be free from friction of their own kind. They can't be too close with other sheep. They've got to be free from frustration like flies and parasites and then free from finding food. They must be free from hunger. Fear, friction, flies, and famine. Only the shepherd can provide the trust, the peace, the deliverance, and pasture that is needed to free the sheep from these things. In, in our own life, do you need to be free from fear? Are there some things that you fear and you need freedom? It's found in the shepherd. Are there some frustrations, some things that are bugging you, some parasites in your life? some flies that you just get away. Uh, the Lord is our shepherd. He can free us from that. And it's interesting that the psalm begins this way. We might expect it to begin with some kind of activity by either the shepherd or the sheep, but strikingly, it begins with rest. Uh, and it's a reminder to the Christian that there will always be many things to do, but we begin by resting in him, the one who's taking care of everything. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Is, is anybody weary? Is anybody heavy burdened? Jesus invites you to come to him with that. Does anybody remember the movie, the 90s movie, Cool Runnings? Okay, some of you guys dig it, Okay. It's, it's, it's loosely based on when Jamaica fielded a bobsled team for the 1988 Winter Olympics in Calgary. Jamaica, a place where it doesn't snow at all in the tropics, uh, fielded a bobsled team. And the coach, who has won two gold medals himself, walks into the room where a star bobsledder, Darius, is carefully studying the course the night before the games. And Darius feels the weight of the world on his shoulders because he feels that if he can win a gold medal at these Olympic Games, then he'll finally be seen as successful. 
And the coach walks into this room and he can see all this pressure weighing down this bobsledder, Darius. And he looks at him and he says, Darius, winning a gold medal is a wonderful thing. But if you're not enough without the gold medal, you won't be enough with it. And if we're not enough without our gold medals, and I don't know what that gold medal is for you. Uh, maybe it's, man, if, if I get to marry that kind of person, or if I get this much in my bank account, or if I buy this house, whatever your gold medal is, if you're not enough without it, you won't be enough with it. Because our sense of being enough is not something that we achieve, it's something that we receive. And we are unable to receive when we are burning it on both ends, living this life like it's a rat race. We must rest in the good shepherd. He says, he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Uh, Philip Keller explains the situation um, of re refreshing his soul, restore to health. Uh, he says, this is, this is the, an example of the cash sheep. What happens is this, is a heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep will lie down comfortably in a hollow or a depression in the ground, and then it may roll over like in trying to stretch out, so it's on its side a little bit. And as it extends its legs, suddenly the center of gravity shifts, and uh, the feet are no longer touching the ground. And it may feel a sense of panic, and it starts to, to kind of frantically move around, and it may actually go completely vertical upside down with its feet up in the air. Uh, this makes it worse. And now it becomes impossible for the sheep to get back up. In this position, gases build up in the body, cutting off circulation to the legs. And often it's only a matter of a few hours before the sheep is dead. The only one who can restore the sheep to health is the shepherd. Sometimes we can rest in our own Christianity under the care of the good shepherd. And we are lulled to sleep in our own contentedness. And that lull can kill us. So just in this one verse, we have the God who gives us rest and then the God who wakes us up when we're sleeping on the job. I think that's beautiful. He gets us on our feet going again. Verse three, he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Sheep are foolish creatures, per perhaps the dumbest creatures in the land. Uh, and this is easily seen in how they wander away. They're often brought to green pastures, but still, as they're eating, they're just so focused on what's right in front of them that they wander off completely away from the shepherd's care. No other class of livestock requires more careful handling. So when the Bible refers to the people of God as sheep, it's not a compliment, <laughs> okay? It's true, though, and I get it. We don't want to be sheep. We want to be like the wolf or a horse, strong and sufficient. Some of you want to be like a dragon or a unicorn, okay? We have counselors after church for that. Uh, but sooner or later, we realize we're sheep. Look at Isaiah 53, 6. It says this, we like sheep have all gone astray. Been there, done that. We've all like sheep gone astray. We've wandered. This sense is captured in the old hymn, Come thou fount of every blessing. And the song crescendos with, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander, that's us. Verse four says, 
Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. If we didn't show the bumper and the preview for our new sermon series, Greatest Showman, I was going to walk out to uh, Coolio's Gangster's Paradise because he quotes the psalm verbatim right here. And it's a reference to the seasonal passage from the lowlands in the winter through the valleys to the high pastures in the summer. And the valleys are places of rich and much water, but they're also places of danger. Wild animals lurk in the broken canyon walls. Sudden storms sweep along the valley floors. There could be floods. And the sun does not shine into the valley all the time. And there really are shadows that may become shadows of death at any moment. Life is filled with both green pastures beside still waters and also valleys of the shadow of death. Being a Christian does not mean that there are no valleys. There are. But we don't fear because he's with us. Now, this, this rocked me this week because up to the point, up to this point in the psalmist, he always refers to God with the pronoun he, right? He makes me lie down. He leads me beside still waters. He guides me. But now he says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. He changes the pronoun from he to you. He says, your rod and your staff comforts me. The tense changes, for on the mountaintops, it's he, 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 but now in the valley, it is you, you, you. We are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. It's not the mountaintops. It, it is no longer the Lord is my shepherd. It is you are my shepherd. You. In the valley, it's you are my shepherd. He continues and says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was used to ward off wolves and other predators. Um, and then the staff gently nudged the sheep if they were wandering off. You know, the Lord is still in the nudging of sheep business. He gives us a little nudge. Maybe it's, maybe it's a song on the radio. Maybe it's, it's that still small voice that says, hey, hey, pray for that family right there. Maybe it's, it's this sense of being uncomfortable with a potential business deal and you just walk away from it even though it sounds like it makes a ton of sense. The Lord is still in the business of nudging us. Verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You'd think he would say he was going to prepare a table before the presence of God. Or at least you prepare a table for me for the presence of my friends. But that's not what it says. It's in the presence of enemies. God brings his presence to the table in the presence of all your stuff. So you're going through something. You've got people talking bad about you. You've got bill collectors knocking on your door. You've got all these problems, people hating you, relationships not working out. And you're like, I've got enemies surrounding me. God says it is in that moment where I prepare a table for you. And he's like, hey, pop a squat over here. And you're like, I got all these enemies around. He's like, hey, hey, come here, grab a seat. And he pulls up the chair and there's like mashed potatoes and gravy and like biscuits and like a great drink. And while you could be focused on all that's going on around you, God says, I've prepared this. You can rest here with me. Because eating a meal and sharing a meal with someone in the ancient world was was one of the most intimate things you could do. 
And so he's saying, be intimate with me in the midst of all your enemies attacking you. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Now sheep, they were prevalent in the ancient world, not because of their meat, but because of their wool. And they were a hot commodity. And if you think that they were expensive, you were wrong, actually. The sheep weren't expensive. They were actually quite cheap. Um, That was the last one. That was it. No more. But they were sheep. Oil and wine were highly valued in the dry, barren Near East. The sun would shine fiercely to where it'd be well over 100 degrees much of the year. And so the oil... Uh, protect the skin from being cracked and broken. And when the throats became parched, wine would clear the throat. He says, my cup overflows. That means the Lord's not stingy. I love that. Remember when you were a kid and you're at the lunch line and you got the lunch lady up there and you got your tray and then she grabs the mashed potato, on mashed potato day, she just grabs it and then she puts it on your plate with that tiny little scoop and you're like, hey, don't be stingy, lady. Let, you know, skip the fruit cup and give me double mashed potatoes on my tray. Don't be stingy. The good shepherd's not stingy with us. He doesn't give us just the bare minimum. He says, my cup overflows. And the final verse here, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's not only the days of his life, it's also the nights of his life. At night is when the sheep are most vulnerable. Many predators in the ancient world would hunt at night. And if you were a thief and you would try and steal the sheep because they were kind of currency. So what do you do? Well, in the ancient world, and even today, we have something called sheep pens. And if you go through the the Near East, you'll find lots of these. Here's a broken down one right here. Uh, This one's not in use anymore. Walls are a bit broken down. But if you've ever been, you'll see throughout the countryside of the ancient Near East, you'll find these. And the walls were fairly high. And here in this next one, you'll see, how many doors do you think there are? There's just one. And at night, when the sun begins to set, you would call the sheep, and they would go through that one door, and they follow each other in. And once they're all in the sheep pen, the shepherd would then lay down at the gate. See, wolves, the walls were too high for wolves or or predators to jump over. And sheep actually can jump very high, but they will never jump if they can't see where they're going to land. And so the shepherd would stay there and say, as if to say, you got to go through me. Like when Sarah and I are on vacation, we're at a hotel, and uh, we're in a sea we don't know. And uh, when we pick sides of which part of the bed, who's going to sleep on which side, I always pick the side close to the door. Because if someone tries to go through the door, I'll stand up and go, you got to go through me if you're going to get to her, right? It's a way of protecting her, like I could do much. (laughs) But I think I can. And I would. That's what the shepherd does for us. That's what the shepherd does for the sheep. So the question arises. Is the shepherd calls in the sheep in the pen each night. Whose voice do we listen to? John 10 says this. The gatekeeper, this is Jesus speaking, opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. This is referring to those sheep pens. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. Isn't that beautiful that 
We often think of the shepherd, he's got his rod and his staff, and so he's behind the sheep, just whipping them into shape if they start going off, go astray a little bit. He hits them. No, no, no. It says the shepherd goes out in front, and he says, follow me, and they follow him. God doesn't lead from behind, whipping us into shape and making sure we stay in line. He leads from the front and says, follow me. I want to show you a video uh, of some people trying to call uh, sheep, but the sheep don't respond, and then the shepherd steps in. And so check out this quick clip. There are all kinds of YouTube videos of people trying to call sheep, and they'll use the same language, they'll use the same articulation, and the sheep don't budge. And then the shepherd steps in, and they come running. Jesus' audience would get this. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. And so we end with the question that we began with. Who is your shepherd? Because in this chapter we find out several things that the shepherd does for us. He leads me. I lack nothing. He gives me rest. He restores my soul. He guides me. He's with me. He comforts me. He protects me. He prepares abundance for me in the midst of scarcity. My cup overflows. Goodness and mercy follows me, and I'll be with him forever and ever and ever and ever. So tell me again why we don't want Jesus to be our shepherd. He's got us. And for some of you who are walking through the valley of the shadow of death right now, God says to you, I got you. I got you. I provide for you. And you don't have to get all cleaned up before you go to God. I invite knowing the band to come up. That's one of the best things about this shepherd. You don't have to get all cleaned up beforehand. God doesn't say, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not coming to the sheep pen looking like that. I didn't realize you were that dirty. You're a dirty little sheep. You need to go get some Irish spring and lather it on your wool and go wash it off on the river before you come up in here in my place. No, the shepherd's the one who does the cleaning. That's what it's about. It's not about us keeping people in line, making sure everyone does the right thing and behaves the right way. No, we love God, we love people, and Jesus does the cleaning. My role in your life is not to help you stop all the secret dirty sins that you do. No. That's the shepherd. Shepherd can take care of that. We love you as is. You belong as is, whether you get cleaned up or not. Uh, and, and as we begin to hear and listen to the shepherd's voice, we just start being, we just might start 
being a little bit more clean. Father God, I pray that for us, that we hear your voice more clearly and we respond and follow you. We thank you, Jesus, that you don't, you don't push us from behind. You lead us from in front. And we thank you, God, that we don't got to get our life all perfect before we go to you. You love us as is, that you lead us, you comfort us, you prepare a table before the presence of our enemies. And even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear ceases in Jesus' name because you're with us. Thank you for that, God. We love you. Thankful for all that you've done and are doing. Lead us, good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen.